passage. Father, thank you uh, just for the morning. How glorious Sunday mornings are to gather, Lord, to make our day, at least in part, a little different, to gather with our brothers and sisters whom we love and who love us, and to come before your presence knowing that you are here, that your spirit who dwells within us, if we have believed, will work among us too, Lord. You will take your word this morning, Lord, and I know you will speak to us. And so, Lord, would you give us hungry hearts? And if we haven't asked, could we just silently ask right now that you would speak to us, Lord? You would have that one thing or a couple things for us that we, we cannot mistake that was you speaking to us, Lord. And so just thank you for our time this morning. In Jesus' name, um, amen. Amen. Well, you know the difference between a year ago and today it has to be busyness has ceased in my life. And it is really different, I'll be honest with you. My calendar is literally empty. Joel will tell you that. I had a meeting with him on Friday morning to take care of some legal documents that we needed to get in his name. And he called me or he texted me so gently and he says, hey, this is like 15 minutes after I was supposed to be there. He said, hey, are we still on for today? And I went, oh, because I'm just used to getting up and just not in a hurry for anything. But it's been that way. There's no meetings. I, know, I hardly ever look at my calendar anymore. There's no meetings. There's no phone calls. My phone is amazingly quiet. If I, get, if I get three or four phone calls a day, it's like, oh, man, that's a lot. And most of them are from my brother-in-law wanting to go do something and ding around, which is fine. But it's just like, it's, it's weird. It's really strange. And I'm not offering you to go ahead and start calling me, okay? So don't do that. But anyway, but this is where I'm headed. Busyness is a fact of life, isn't it? It is, uh, especially this time of year. I'm sure you already feel it. Um, I've been by the mall several times, and it just amazes me the hustle and bustle that takes place during this time of year. And let me tell you something, and I, I want to challenge you this morning, but you, I want to, I'm still... I used to be your pastor, so remember I got a pastor's heart for you, but it, busyness isn't because we have to be busy. Now, I want you to think this morning. I'm going to give you so many scriptures a day, you should take your bulletin, turn it to the notes section, and just write down the references. Don't try to keep up with me. I'm going to put them all up on the screen, but I'm going to do that. Busyness is because of the choices we make. That is important that you understand that because often if we don't see that, then we use busyness as an excuse as to why I couldn't get to something. And you'll see in a minute what I think we really should be getting to. And really it's because of the choices that we make. A definition of busyness, I looked up the word itself, is very simple, having a great deal to do, to be full of activity. Pretty good definition, right? You know, sometimes you look up a word and you go, well, that's not good. I don't even know what that means. But that's just it. you got a great deal to do. You're full of activity. And that's a great one. Our American culture, it seems like our drug of choice is busyness, doesn't it, at times? If we're not busy we and moving and doing, uh, we feel odd. We feel out of place. And sometimes something must be wrong. Now, I know there's a few of you in the room that that doesn't hit you. 
But a lot of you, it does hit you. We just have to be busy in this movement going on. And I'll tell you what, it is unscriptural at times. And it works against our walk with the Lord, our faith in Christ, and everything spiritual there is. Now, not all busyness is bad. I don't want you to think about that. I think that's what I'm saying this morning. Think of Jesus. He taught, he ministered to the point at time of exhaustion where they were tired, remember? He wanted to get the disciples and him away so they could rest. But that was good. There was a multitude that was being ministered to. There were many people coming to faith. You think of Paul that took these missionary trips. No sooner did he finish one, it seems like he went on another. And then after he'd done that one, he says, okay, I got to get into a new area. And he expanded farther. That's a good business. And we could add other things that would be a good business is earning a living is a good busy, busyness, right? Have you found that if you don't have income, it's hard to survive? Yeah, it is. It's very hard. Raising a family is a good busyness, if I could put it that way. Rest, pleasure, that's a good busyness. I have to confess to you that there were many years of my life in ministry that I did not enough resting. And I was busy all the time, but I didn't take that time to rest. And that's an important thing. Or the things of God get neglected, and that's an important thing. Busyness is only bad when it keeps us from more important things, those that we just mentioned. But the most important thing is when it keeps us from God. Busyness is a problem. Now listen, we're, in the, we're all together. There's nobody in this room that is the only one guilty or that this message is for. We are all in this at times. We face this battle. I face this battle but I want you to be honest with yourselves. You're going to have some conversations with yourself this morning. I want you to do that. Because sometimes when you are having a conversation with yourself, it has been prompted by the Lord, possibly and more than likely, because something he's already been nudging you in, and this morning could be the morning where he finally says, okay, let's do something about this. And that's what I want us to see this morning. And so we can all agree on two things. We all know what it is to be busy, right? That's where you go, right? You got to interact with me. Come on. Do I have to do this again? Come on. You know me, right? And listen to this one. It is easy to get out of balance. And that is important. If you think I've got a handle on this, there's no problem. You are in for a fall. You are going to get out of balance when it comes to this area. And so... In other words, as all we do is play, if rest and recreation is all we want to do in life, you're out of balance, and your spiritual life is going to be out of balance. Um, if you all you do is uh, seek pleasure, if all you do is work, uh, that's a real common thing for us guys, but more and more we see women in the workforce that fall into the same thing. Again, nothing's wrong with working. But if that becomes your life, you are out of balance and it is going to affect your relationship with the Lord. Or we elevate something or somebody higher than the Lord. And don't say, I would never do that. I never do that. Really? I'd like to talk to you later. You can buy me lunch and I'll, yeah. no, I'm just joking. But yeah, you understand what I'm saying? We do that at times. Before we know it, we've elevated something and the Lord has taken second place. And so we got to be careful in these areas. And the last one is what I, what I want us to consider. Elevating someone or something higher than the Lord. 
We are busy. We can be busy with good things, but when God is low on our priority list, imbalance is starting to take root if it's not already rooted. And a not good thing is starting to take over, and that's bad. It is called neglect. And most of the time, neglect isn't good. You know, listen to this for a minute and see if you don't agree with me in some way or another with this. Have you noticed in our culture that neglect does not seem to be as big a deal as it used to be to us that are older and we lived a long time now? It's almost as like it's no big deal if something gets neglected anymore. I think it's because we are becoming a feel-good, emotional, self-centered culture and if one doesn't want to do something, they don't. And so if they said, I'm going to do this, but then they decide later because they don't feel like it, I'm not going to do it, no big deal. It's a big deal. And it's especially a big deal when it comes to the Lord. You can neglect to change the oil in your car. It will take a long time before you pay the price for that. You can neglect to upkeep your house, and it will be a while before you pay the price for that. You can neglect people, friends, and family for a season. I wouldn't recommend it, and it's not as bad. But listen, the most important thing is if you neglect the Lord, that is huge. Now, some of you in the room this morning might not know the Lord. I'm glad you're here. I pray God's Spirit will move that you'll sense that He's here, and maybe you'll give your life to Him this morning. But if you are here and you've given your life to the Lord, you have to understand what I'm talking about this morning is for you and I who have given our lives to Jesus Christ. He is to be number one. I was up in Fernville yesterday with Mackie's birthday party, and I met a brother up there. I didn't know he was a brother at first, and it was so funny. He came in, and he came with his girlfriend to the party, and they're friends of my son and Aaron, my daughter-in-law. And as he came in, I just started giving him a... I, I was joking with him, and he was joking back with me. And then later we got talking, and it turns out he's a believer. And he used to train bird dogs, and now he, he's training service dogs. And just a neat guy, lived in Spokane, told me where to go fly fishing. And he says, man, I pulled out a 29-inch trout out of that river right there. So I got it on my radar, okay? But it's, what was so cool is just that, that camaraderie. And I said to him, I said, listen, I'll be praying for you. And I'll lift you up for the things that he shared with me you're going through. But it's, it's, it's important that we understand and we don't neglect certain things. But we can't neglect God. It makes no sense if we say, I believe in God, I follow God, but we are neglecting our walk with God. Do you understand that? It, it isn't right. I, I think of James when James was talking about something else, about the mouth and the words, and he says, you know, it's not right that both bitter and sweet water comes out of the same stream. And it'd be the same thing in this case. It's not right that you say you love the Lord and you follow the Lord, but there's no time you're spending with him. And so it's important that we, can't, we don't do that. You want to you hear a legal definition of neglect? It's this, to pay little or no attention or omission of proper attention to a person or thing. It could be inadvertently negligent or willful. It is the act or condition of disregarding. And again, you know, that's sometimes what we do with things. And just think if, you, if you've ever witnessed a dog being abused. Have you ever seen a situation, and I can remember one that comes to my mind, a way I used to drive to work all the time. And for years, 
this guy always had dogs. They were always chained with a great big chain, and they were in the yard in a muddy circle. And I always just kind of went, what do you have the dog for, man? You know, but year after year, and we'd see different dogs come and go. And your heart just goes out for that stuff, don't you? Or worse yet, what about a child abuse, you know, to the point where you realize this child is being abused emotionally or physically, and we cry foul on those things, don't we? And why is it any different with God and our relationship with Him? Only when we see it as bad as a form of neglect will we start to say enough is enough and we will seek to change things. I'm going to quote this lady a couple times this morning, but listen to uh, Rachel Jokovic and what she wrote in this article she said about busyness. She said, why does the very fundamental practice of reading the Word of God fall so badly by the wayside for many Christians? And here it is, because we don't think it actually matters. That's a key right there. This couple months ago, in Sunday morning over in Spokane, Ken Ortiz, the pastor of the church there, said, when we don't get into the Bible, it is because we don't see the value of doing so. And these are things that if this is a struggle for you, you need to just admit that and say, you're right, Lord. I must not see the value of it because I get into all types of other stuff. R.C. Sproul said this, here then is the real problem of our negligence. We fail in our duty to study God's word, not so much because it's difficult to understand, not so much because it's dull or boring, but because it's work. Our problem is not a lack of intelligence or a lack of passion. Our problem is that we are lazy. And I know that some of you are going to go, I don't like it, Scott, when you talk to us this way. And I'm, you know, and I don't like it when someone would tell me that either. But isn't that the truth at times? We just have to say, I'm being lazy. It's so easy, isn't it, to fill our time with other things. And my goal, again, please hear this. My goal isn't to make you feel bad. You know, there's all types of things. Reading the word, prayer, serving at church, giving. Those are just hot buttons that you push. And all of a sudden, you just feel guilty, right? Pastors can just do those and the church is just going... Woe is me, that's me he's describing. That's not my goal this morning. My goal this morning is that by somehow looking at this area and being honest with it, we would just be renewed in this area. And maybe for the first time, we'd create this discipline that each of us needs. And so my goal is not to uh, beat you up or make you feel bad, but your eyes are going to be open and you'll see that we can neglect him and it's more important than any other thing that we could do is spending time with God. And so this morning, I want to focus on our relationship with God. There's so many areas we could talk about, like Bill is doing in the thing on Wednesday night. There's so many ways we can go when we talk about the Word of God. But I'm going to talk about it more specifically. I'm just telling you, I'm going to talk about that spending time in God's Word and with God every single day. That's really my heart today is what I want to share with you. Now, are you at Psalm 119? Psalm 119 is a great psalm. We're not going to go through it all. I'm going to read the first 16 verses in just a minute. Psalm 119 is the longest book, or the Psalms is the longest book in the Bible. That is by chapter and verses. Anybody know what the longest book in the Bible is by words? John? No, not John. You got the J right. 
Did I hear Jeremiah? Yeah, it's Jeremiah. In the Hebrew, Jeremiah is a longer book, but the longest book by chapter and verses is the book of Psalm, Psalms. 119 is the longest chapter with 176 verses and more than any other book in the New Testament. That's pretty amazing. And the chapters speak more of God's word, this chapter does, than any other chapter in the book, in the book of Psalms and in the Bible. Matter of fact, 171 of the 176 verses mention the Word of God. Some have criticized the author, saying, well, he's worshiping the Word, and we're not to really worship the Word. We're to worship the God of the Word, but we're to understand the place of the Word. But he's not doing that. If you read it and read it several times, you'll see that he understands who God is. He, he speaks of eight of God's attributes, which is seeing God for who he is, not an imbalance, of only seeing the word, but not God who's behind the word. And he speaks of God's righteousness, his trustworthiness, his truthfulness, faithfulness, unchangeableness, his eternally, his, he's, he's eternal and light and pure. And so just watch as we read just the beginning verses of this book. Follow with me at verse one. Blessed are those whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You have laid down precepts that are to be fully obeyed. Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees, that I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. I will praise you with an upright heart as I learn your righteous laws. I will decree, I will obey your decrees and do not, other, and do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? How can an older person keep their way pure? How can a person that's known the Lord a long time keep their way pure? By living according to your word. I seek it with all my heart. Do not let me stray from your commands. I have hidden your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. Praise to you, O Lord. Teach me your decrees. With my lips I recount all the laws that come from your mouth. I rejoice in following your statutes as one rejoices in great riches. I meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. And it just goes on. 171 of the verses will speak of God's word. And there's eight different words that you probably notice. I think, I think there's, uh, I, I didn't count how many different ones are here. But there's eight different words in this Psalm 119 that speak of God's word, their law, testimony, your precepts, your statutes, your commands, your judgments, your ordinances, and then the word. And in the 16 verses I just read, 16 times the word was referred to. And so basically, every verse, that's the equivalent, 16 times. And, and so as we noted, we find it all these times in this book. Why so much? Because the author, listen, knew its value. Why, whoever wrote this psalm, did they write like this? Because they understood the value of God's word. That's a key. They knew God's word mattered. And again, you've got to shift. I have got to shift and keep it shifted that I don't make the mistake of thinking knowing God's word is, okay, I believe in God's word. I accept God's word. I'm not against God's word. Knowing God's word, the way I'm talking about it, is you're into his word every day. 
And that is the key here. And that's what we see here. There's value in it. It matters. I need it. If you read the entire chapter, you'll find like Jeremiah said in Jeremiah 15, 16, it is food for my soul. That's what he said. He said, your words found, your, your words were found, and I like this, and I ate them. I relate to that. Anybody else? We're an eating culture. I bet you anything with an hour after church, you're eating. Okay? And if there's refreshments in the big room, it's going to be less than that. But I, he says, I ate them. Your words became to me joy and delight in my heart. And I called by your name. And, your, and just remember that, guys. So often we think, okay, I'll just do this. i got to punch my clock. Otherwise, what Scott said is going to make me feel guilty and all this type of stuff. No. When you get into his word, all of a sudden, it's not food in the sense of physical food. But it brings joy to you. It brings delight to you. It starts speaking to your heart. And not just the time you're in the word. After you're in the word as well. And I love that in Jeremiah. Jeremiah is not the only one that did this. In, uh, in the New Living, puts it this way of Jeremiah. When I discovered your words, I devoured them. I like that. They are my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, O Lord, God of heaven's armies. It's like my little chihuahua. You know, yesterday we're headed up there. And he knows when something's going on, so he wouldn't eat his breakfast. So we went up to Ferndale yesterday, spent most of the day up there. He didn't eat all day. We got home, we got out his food. You know what he did? He devoured it. <laughs> he was hungry. And if, you're, you know, if you didn't notice, dogs really don't chew their food. It's almost like a low-volume vacuum cleaner, right? I mean, seriously, they don't chew it. It's just like, and it's just, you know. And I hate to admit it, but some of us are that way, like that too. I include myself. Eugene Peterson said this of this verse, when your words showed up, I ate them, I swallowed them whole. What a feast. Isn't that good? There's two other places that speak of the word in this way. There's more than this, but I'm just taking these two. Psalm 119, chapter we're in, but down to verse 103 says, how sweet are your words, the writer says, to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And of course, you know the verses out of Peter, 1 Peter 2, 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual word milk, that by it you may grow up. And the New Living says, crave it. The good news says, always thirst for it. It's something funny, you guys. Have you ever noticed, I, I'm going to use food illustrations way too much today. I didn't mean that. I think there's a chemical in McDonald's French fries. Okay, I'm pretty sure. I'm serious. Because if you eat McDonald's fries, you'll, you just keep eating those stupid things all the time. And you love them, don't you? Okay, I see heads. There's five of you that are being honest. After church, man, I'm going to give you a high five. The rest of you, but no, they are. It's like, what's the deal with that, you know? But that's the type of thing, you know, that we, we want to, you know, we want to crave God's word. And here's the interesting thing. You eat a McDonald's fry, and it makes you want more of McDonald's fries. And if you are not, if you do not have a regular habit of being for, before God in his word, you're thinking right now, I don't get it. Well, let me tell you, I assure you that if you will start making a habit of it, it'll be like McDonald's French fries. And you will long for it. And you will want to get into it. And you won't be able to wait for it. And it will satisfy you even, obviously, way more than French fries will satisfy you. And that's so important. Um, the author of Psalm 119 is interesting. If I was to ask you who it was, you might say David, and there's a good chance you'd be right, but I'm going to 
teach you so you know that we really don't know who wrote this song. But most do feel it's David, okay? And he did write 75 of the Psalms in this book of Psalms. But the book of Psalms has uh, more authors than any other book of the Bible. There's uh, Asaph, that his, the family of Asaph. There's the sons of Korah. Uh, Solomon has his name on a couple of them. Moses has his name on one of them. Uh, Heman is, wrote one, and Ethan wrote another one. Fifty of the Psalms, we don't even know who wrote them. And I'm just telling you this as we're just talking about this. You know, but David is more than likely the one who wrote this psalm. And the reason I picked this psalm is not because it just talks about the word, but what I want you to understand is this. David wrote this psalm over his entire life, they believe. And it just don't forget that, and all of a sudden you'll realize how valuable that is. In other words, what's that say to us? That's an example in God's word. And an example of a man who loved God that saw the value of God's word over his entire life. And you, it has to be that way. You, you think, well, how can somebody just, I mean, write this like that? But if all of a sudden you realize that he wrote it throughout his whole, whole life, it makes so much more sense. And so all his life, he saw the value of God's word. Um, the book of Psalms covers a thousand years of time from Moses to Ezra, 1400 B.C. to 4th century. And it's example of God's word. It does speak to us, and it does speak to our entire life. David Guzik said this. Look at this. I thought this was good. The section of verses th that we're talking about, the psalm, are not like a chain where one link connects to all the others. It's more like a string of pearls. Each pearl has, has equal but independent value. So there's a connection. But they're independent, each psalm and stuff. And the same here we see that. And so Psalm 119 is an example to us of the importance of God's word and of spending time in God's word and developing a habit, a good habit, just like we have so many other habits in our life. Now, I'm going to give you a bunch of verses, so get ready just to write these down. Don't try to turn to them. And so... It isn't the only example. In 2 Timothy 2.15, what do we read? Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. See, And I could hear some of you saying, you know, Scott, I'm not a scholar. And I'm not a scholar either. You know my time here. How many times, that's my fear of how many times I said the same thing. And you guys were so gracious just going, does he realize he said this so many times? But I graduated from high school with a D average, you know? That's what I graduated with. I was never a scholar. But God can make you a scholar, right? I'm not saying I'm a, you understand what I mean. God can make you a student. God can make you a lover of his word that wants to dig into it. It's amazing what he can do. And this is an exhortation to us that we're to be able to be presented to God as one who is approved of somebody who loves his word. We already read 1 Peter 2, 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk of the word. And notice that by it you may grow up into salvation. See, it brings growth to our life. Hebrews 4, 12, you know this verse. For the what? The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And listen, please don't just look at that and think of, man, this person needs that. I'm praying this verse over that person. 
No, that's what the word will do unto you. If you take the time, if you truly say, Lord, speak to my heart, it penetrates, it convicts. It kind of does that spiritual surgery, doesn't it? Psalm 119, 105 is where we find this verse. Your word is what? A lamp to my feet and a light to my path. That's what the word becomes. Psalm 119, 11. I've stored up your word in my heart that I may not sin against you. See? So often we worry about knowing the word and memorizing the word. If you are in the word every single day, you will have no problem at all of a sudden storing up in your heart. It's amazing what the Spirit does when you do that. And there's also warnings for us in Scripture. And I say this, there, there are these warnings to people in the Scriptures that by now they had known the Lord a while, but they're still not where they should be when it comes to this matter. Hebrews 5, 12 and 13 says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who li lives on milk is unskilled for the word of righteousness since he is a child. And again, that's not saying what Peter said about craving the milk of the word. It's not a contradiction. It's just saying you are still at this point and you should be at this point. You know, one of the hardest things for you and I in our life is to truly grow. You know that? We love to get in a rut and get set in our ways. How many of you find yourself sitting pretty much in the same spot every Sunday when you come to church? Wink and I do the same thing in our new church, you know? I mix it up. We started on the right side, now we're on the left side. I know she's a little nervous because I'm a front row guy. I haven't got her there yet, but I'm nudging her closer every week, you know? But we, you understand that. We are creatures of habit. And we don't want to become in a bad habit when it comes to this. Paul was writing to the Corinthians in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3, 1 and 3. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still in the flesh. And sometimes that is the issue. We are in the flesh. We are immature. We aren't moving to the point that we should be moving. And again, not to beat us up, just as an exhortation from the Lord. See, we see from the Old Testament, I'm trying to help you here, to the New Testament, God's word is to be a part of our lives. It is to mold us and it will mold us. It is to fill us and it will fill us. It is to teach us. It is to guide us. And that's for everybody. I look around the room and I could see you that are on the old spectrum, older spectrum. Let's put it this way, on the mature spectrum, right? I could see some that are younger and everything else. It applies to all of us. Remember when David went and fought Goliath? He was a teenager, but he had faith in God, didn't he, see? He already had a relationship with the Lord. So we can't say, well, I'm too young, I'm too old. When God gets a hold of you and you allow yourself to get a hold of God, things happen. I, give my, I gave my life to the Lord at 19 years old after almost destroying my life. It was definitely headed that way. And I'm amazed at when I gave my life to the Lord, what the Lord has done. And he does the same for every one of us. Tim Keller said this, he said, let the gospel sink so deeply down in you that it changes your views and even the structures of your motivation. 
That's so good. And by gospel there, I think he is saying not just the four gospels. I think he's saying let the word of God get down so deeply in you that all of a sudden it's changing your views. Your views are becoming God's views. And it changes you in that way. And it's changing the structures of your motivation. Oh, that is so good. And this is when we see the value of God. That type of thing takes place. So let's ask this question. Why don't we read God's word daily? And I'm not being exhaustive this morning. So you don't need to come up to me afterwards and, Scott, you didn't hit on this. So if you see something, that's probably God saying, well, that's for you. That's what I want you to see. We already talked about, I already said these, busyness. Busyness is a great enemy, you know. And sometimes we make the mistake of saying, well, I'm so busy I can't. No, you're not so busy you can't. Years ago I heard a man say that we all have a list of priorities, but your real priorities are what you do. Not that list that you want to do. It is actually what you do in a given day. That are, those are your priorities. The other thing, the second thing is we don't think it matters. We talked about that. We fail to see the value of daily reading God's word. We are so used to eating and being satisfied from that. Watching a movie, being entertained by that. We are so often locked into the physical, the emotional, the feeling that sometimes we think, well, God's word doesn't fall into that. It doesn't stimulate me like the video game or the movie or whatever else. Well, I tell you, it can. It can if you'll take time and you'll quiet your heart before him and let him speak. We talked about laziness as one of the reasons too. It's just not a priority. And again, how long have you known the Lord? If it's still not a priority to you, the Lord is crying out to you saying, come on, I have so much for you that you are not partaking of. And we then the other thing is we haven't developed the habit, the discipline. And it is to develop a habit and discipline, but not a bad one. We all type, have types of habits. Let me quote Rachel uh, Jankovic again, and this is so good. She said, the world is full of good advice. Take showers, brush your teeth, wear a coat in the cold, eat regularly, sleep. All of us agree with such basic good sense and would counsel others in line with that. You simply must sleep, and here's why. Or she, and she's talking about brushing your teeth is more than a nice idea, and so on. Sleeping is more than a nice idea. If someone we know begin to ignore such advice, we would urge them to reconsider. Things are so hectic that you are no longer finding time to put on your clothes. You know what? Clothes are one of the non-optional things. You are going to need to change your habit to make putting on your clothes part of your routine. Life is so busy that we decide to quit eating and feeding your children. Apparently, life is not so busy that you aren't making time for your upcoming hospitalization and arrest, right, from neglecting your children, (laughs) you know. When we believe that something is absolutely crucial to a healthy and decent life, we don't make excuse, we don't excuse not making time for it. In the same way, many of us do not ask ourselves every morning if we should find time to put on our underwear or drink coffee. We have the time, we make the time, we assume the time, we use the time. Whatever it takes, we will have the coffee and we will wear the underwear. I'm glad, okay? But you see her point? The point is that we do have habits. We do develop patterns. And it's just easy sometimes not to have this one. And so number five, we have, we have to be careful 
that we are not too much in the world. D.L. Moody said Christians should live in the world not and but not be filled with it. A ship lives in the water. But if water gets into the ship, she goes down to the bottom. So Christians may live in the world, but if the world gets into them, they sink. And that's true. And we see that all the time. I constantly have to force myself to quit watching all the just the political junk on radio and TV and listening to it, you know. It just will bring you down. It will just, you know, there comes a point where enough is enough. And I want God in me. I don't want what's going on in the world in me. One of the uh, groups I follow is called Defenders of the Gospel, and they said this, we're at a point in Christianity where people don't care if you back it up with the Bible anymore. That's what Bill was saying earlier, and that's true. Their feelings, desire, and emotions override what, structure, what Scripture says. They don't follow Christ, they follow self. If we are not students of the Word, we are in danger of being led by what sounds good instead of what is biblical. And that is so important. If you want to live a biblical life, you have to be in the Word or you won't know how to live a biblical life. But if you're in the Word and you know how God wants you to live, you'll have the courage to live that way and you won't care what other people think. In John 17, 14, and 16, it says, I've given them your word, John, or Jesus speaking to the Father. I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of this world, of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask you that you take them out of the world, but do you keep them from the evil one? They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So what is God's heart for you and I? To not be a part of the world. But he says, I'm going to keep them in the world because they are the light now. They have to shine forth and preach the gospel and proclaim the gospel. But we're not to be of this world. And oh, is that so easy. In this day of political correctness, and it is insane, you know, just what people are being held, uh, you know, the words they say, and then, well, that's political. We heard something the other day, and I looked at Wink, I said, that's what they're up in an uproar about? Because I didn't see anything wrong with it at all, see? But we have to be careful about that. Because all we say, well, yeah, you know, we need to be this, and then next thing you know, we're really going this way. And we're speaking against things that God's Word makes clear. Romans 12, 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And that's by God's Word and by His Spirit. Our minds are not to be renewed by the ways of the world, by education that is unbiblical, by friends that are unbiblical. We are to be transformed by God's word that is holy and pure. And we are not to let other things transform our lives. I found this quote. I thought this one was so good. I just, you know, I love these kind of expressive words. The more scripturally soaked the saints are, don't you love that? The more spiritually soaked the saints are, the more essential they believe reading to the Bible to be. Why is that? Because they understand the nature of it. They have come to see, listen to this, how much it affects their lives and shapes their thoughts. Now, I think there's people in this room in three places. Some of you are right with what I'm talking about. And you're just agreeing and you're going, thanks for the reminder. Some of you have gotten away from time in his word and you know what it is and you need to get back. And some of you are just thinking, 
you know, I've heard this so much, I don't know if I believe it, I've never experienced it. Well, it's because you've never done it. And you just got to do it. And you got to change and make those good habits. But I like that. We want to be spiritually soaked. How, it makes, how do we make it happen? How do we get into God's word every single day? One, I'm kind of repeating myself, but that's a message. See the value of doing so. It does matter. It does make a difference. And when you do this, if you don't know that, if you don't believe that, if you don't see that, would you trust me? And next time, in a few months, if I'm back and I get to teach again or if I'm just visiting, come up to me and say, you're right, Scott. I did what you said, and it makes a difference. Thank you. It does make a difference. God's word is sufficient for every need, for every issue, and we need to quit relying on the world's wisdom. That's a whole other message that I realized I wasn't going to hit on that needs to be addressed as, as well, that God's word is sufficient. So often as believers, we face things and we think, well, I, I got God, I got his word, but in this situation, I've got to go to this person or this type of thinking to have it met. I have found in walking with the Lord now for all these years, that I want Him. I want His Word and His power. And as you pray and you wait upon Him, you do see Him work, and you do see Him change situations. And we have to understand that. You know, um, I don't know who the author was that wrote this. It says, the Scriptures are a reflection of God's nature. From then, we learn that we can trust Him uh, trust his character and his plan and purpose for mankind, even when those plans include affliction and persecution. Charles Spurgeon said, listen to this, nobody ever outgrows scripture. The book widens and deepens with our years. The word of God is an anvil upon which the opinions of man are smashed. I like that type of talk. I was at a place a week ago in Idaho. This guy had at least 10 old anvils, like priced up upwards like a 1000 bucks, man. They were cool, but I don't need one. I'm not a blacksmith. <laughs> but that's what the word is to you and I and can be to you and I. And so we need to understand the value of it. It is value. Except, except the examples of its importance and exhortation that we see in Scripture. By that, what I mean is this. I just read to you different passages. I've taken you to a psalm that was written over a man's lifetime. And you, are, you now have an example before you. And the Bible is full of examples of people said, God's word, God's word, God's word. Let that speak to you. Don't be different than them. Be one of them and say, I want to be like that. I want to be like David. I want to be like Jeremiah. I want to be like the Apostle Paul. And I want to be saturated with his word. Number three, and this is the last one, just start doing it. Develop the habit. Find the time each day that works for you. Now listen, this is really the rubber in the road here. I want to talk to you that get up early and you leave the house early. Okay? Now I know there's many ways to do this. For me, it's first thing in the morning. Because guys, I'm like you are. You know, I'm this guy that goes, and I still do that. I love to get into projects. I'll go out in the new garage I have, and I'll work for hours. Wink comes out and goes, it's freezing out here. I go, well, it's not that bad, you know. But you just, you, you got, I do it in the morning because the day is going to get at me, and I don't know what the day is going to bring. But you just got to do it. You know, we are blessed where we live now. Uh, we actually have a view to the east. 
and we see the last part of the state of Washington, and we can see hills in Idaho. And it's incredible. And I have found myself, the sun's not rising until about 7. But when we first got over there, I was getting up every day at 5.30, no alarm clock, because I didn't want to miss the sunrise. And I would just sit there and make my coffee and get my Bible and have devotions and spend time in prayer with the Lord. And it's just happened now. Every morning, Wink will tell you. He just gets up, and I know where he's going and what he's going to do. And I don't have to get up right now, you know. He's the one that likes to get up that early, you know. But you gotta, you just got to do it, and I encourage that. Think about that. You don't have to answer that right now, but if you don't have the habit, what would it take? You say, well, that would mean I'd have to get up early. Well, why don't you tell the Lord that and see what he says, you know. He had to go to the cross. See, so, see what I mean? And, and, and so maybe what it means is you go to bed earlier. You know, my, my, what did I, I, read, I read the other day, uh, someone that said, midnight or nine o'clock is the new midnight. <laughs> I read that the week. I said, amen, <laughs> you know, because I usually, I'm pretty passing out by 9 a.m. I'm 9 p.m., <laughs> 9 a.m., <laughs> yeah. That hasn't happened yet. But you just get up. I've always found the morning time a great time to redeem the day. But you understand what I'm saying. You've got to make it happen. Develop a time each day. Have a plan. You know, can I say something? And please don't be offended by this because my wife will, if she, my wife falls into this category right now, and I've done it before too, you, you, there's nothing wrong with the little devotionals that you use and the devotional books or this and that. But at some point, you've got to move beyond that or at sometimes you've got to include where you are actually just reading the word as well. So often devotionals will give you a verse and then you'll read about a person's opinion and thoughts about that verse. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a time where you develop a habit. Maybe you have a goal. Is I'm going to read the Bible this year. There, you would not believe the number of believers that have never read the Bible. And so you read some Old Testament. You read some New Testament. And you just say, God, speak to me. I just finished... I just finished Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. And there's mornings I told Wink, I said, yeah, I didn't understand what I read today. But what I do is I say, God, you are awesome. You are mighty. And your verses, even though I don't understand exactly the end of Ezekiel and everything that's going to happen or when it's going to happen, but I, it speaks to me, Lord, that I follow a God who's in charge and who's powerful, see. And then I get to the New Testament. I go, okay, I understand this. But it does that, you see. But you go through that, and like I said earlier, then all of a sudden you're taking in that spiritual food. And spiritual food, when we eat, you guys, it nourishes our body, and we don't see the results of it usually, but it comes out in the days ahead, see, and it nourishes us. And the same with the Word. And so we just want to start doing it. We want to find a plan, and we want to include prayer. Every day I begin, I'm just going to tell you, you don't have to do this. Every day I begin... I ask God to be with me in my time in his word and that. I, that's what I pray for because I want him to speak to me through his word. But then once it's done, I usually just close my eyes and I will just start. Uh, there's things that I pray for like family, my wife. I pray for them every single day. But then the Lord will put other things on my heart and I pray for those. And it doesn't even take me an hour and then I'm ready for the day. See? And I can't encourage you enough. I want to close with one more R.C. Sproul quote. He says, I think, the worship team, come on up. I think the greatest weakness in the church today 
is that almost no one believes that God invests his power in the Bible. Everyone is looking for power in a program, in a methodology, in a technique, in anything and everything but that which God has placed it, his word. He alone has the power to change lives for eternity, and the power is focused on the scriptures. The more we are in the word of God, the more the spirit will inspire the word and who illuminates it for us will use the word to conform our souls that we are truly his and that we are indeed among the children of God. And so I pray for us this morning that we would be believers who, Lord, we believe in you, we believe in your word, and we take time in your word. So let me pray, and I'm going to pray for all of us this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for uh, what we've talked about today. And Lord, this struggle, I've gone through seasons, Lord, myself, where I haven't spent the time before you that I should. And Lord, when that happens, there is no doubt your grace is there. But it's like we're settling for a drive-up window meal at McDonald's when you have created a Thanksgiving dinner and we're just saying, oh, I don't want that. And so, Lord, would you help us? Would you lead us and guide us? And would you specific, Lord, anyone in the room today that has never developed this habit or has fallen out of the habit, Lord, lead them in it. I pray they would have a conviction this morning that I'm going to start. And they would start, Lord. And they would be blessed, Lord. So thank you for your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.